Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Off the Couch on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're up to, including all of our other podcasts, over at blisterreview.com. And once again, we are broadcasting this episode from our home here in the Gunnison Valley of Colorado. And now would be a good time to start planning a trip here to experience our wide open spaces and do some running or hiking or biking on our vast network of trails here in Gunnison and Crested Butte. Okay, today I am joined by Blister reviewer Gordon Janini, and Gordon is going to recap for us the Moab Red Hot And this is a particularly special occasion since this marks Gordon's return to racing. And as you're going to hear, it was quite a successful return for him. From there, we then go on to talk about a few of the highlights from the Black Canyon Ultras. And then Gordon and I offer our initial impressions of Saucony's Switchback 2, which features the BOA fit system. And if you'll remember a previous episode of Off the Couch, we went to BOA's headquarters in Denver and I sat down with a few of their scientists where we got really in depth about the BOA fit system and got to hear a really compelling rationale for why they're doing what they're doing and why they think it's better than, you know, traditional shoelaces. And then from there, we go on to talk about another new bit of tech when it comes to trail shoes. And this is the arrival of the first carbon-plated trail shoe, which is the North Face Flight Vective. And Gordon and I place our bets about whether carbon-plated trail shoes are about to become a very big deal across the industry, or whether this is a bit of a flash in the pan. So that is what we have on tap for you today, and let's get to it. Well, Gordon, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Jonathan? I am doing great and looking forward to kind of just run through a few recent events, current events, that type of thing, and really just have a chance to catch up with you about some stuff. So on that note, let's just get right into it. The first thing that we wanted to talk about here was the Moab Red Hot 55K and 33K from last weekend. And, uh, Turns out you were a rather, I don't know, I think we could say invested or active reporter on this one. Yeah, I, uh, I had a frontline view, you could say. So I <laughs> ran the 55K. <laughs> um, and as we kind of talked about briefly in our New Year's Resolution podcast, that was my first trail race since yeah. uh, June of 2019. Did a 60K in Austria. Wow. And got my butt kicked. So, um, yeah, it was a, a bit of a hiatus there. Um, and last weekend was my first first time back, which was pretty awesome. I'd kind of forgotten how much those hurt. So there was that. <laughs> Get to like mile twenty. What do you mean by those? What do you mean by oh, those ultras? <laughs> <laughs> Just in general, like running running a long ways, but also trying to go kind of fast. It's it's kind of hard, mm-hmm. as it turns out. Hmm. Um, huh. Yeah, weird, right? So yeah, it was it was kind of funny actually. It ended up being a super rainy day. Um, I was like, oh yeah, running in the desert's gonna be all nice and sunny. It's gonna be great. And then it was like forty degrees and raining all day, so that was nice. Huh. Um, but cool waterfalls, so perks. Um, and yeah, it was definitely a bit of a rude awakening on my part because I hadn't 
tried to really race and run fast over that kind of distance in quite a while. Hmm. Um, and I definitely got dropped pretty hard by the front three guys on the, there's kind of a flat road section at the start. I was like, wow, I don't have that kind of leg speed, <laughs> but it was really cool to get back into a race and yeah, managed to, to keep things together enough to hang on for third place, which was pretty sweet, even though I totally fell apart <laughs> in the last four miles. Well, it was brutal. Okay, but you just said that you got dropped by the front three, but then it sounds like you made a nice comeback, but then started blowing up a little bit. Well, so I, I've always maintained that ultra running isn't about who goes fast, it's about who slows down the least, and I think that's a, uh-huh. a well-known saying in the ultra world, but um, I don't think I actually really sped up at all. In fact, I definitely died pretty hard in the second half of the race, but I'm still not totally sure what happened, but for some reason, the guy who was in third uh, either dropped or was at an aid station and I passed him or something, because I never actually saw the guy out on course. Um, So I actually finished and was like, oh, cool, I got fourth. That was nice. Um, And, you know, it's COVID, so there's nobody hanging around at the finish line to chat to. Um, So I, like, went home, took a nap, ate a bunch of food, and then, like, looked at the results. Like, oh, I was third. Cool. (laughs) <laughs> oh nice um yeah so so i don't know exactly what happened to the the guy who was in third but yeah the the front two guys one of whom we should mention is kieran nay who's written a bunch yeah. of reviews for us which was pretty awesome he had a great day the front two guys were uh i didn't see them after the first like 15 minutes of the race now i'm a little curious when you say that you just your speed wasn't there for this i mean not because you've, you know, frankly, been sitting too long on the couch or that kind of thing. I mean, you've been intentional about your training. No? I mean, I, I guess I'd be curious to hear you say, like, like if your speed wasn't there for this race, I don't think that would be a surprise. Or this was just part of the program to try to bring you back in a way, uh, you know, staying injury free and get you running long distances again. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that aspect of this. Yeah, absolutely. So I work with a coach, Jason Coop at CTS, who you've had on the podcast before. Yeah. And we kind of going into this, uh, this is really intended to be like a first uh, kind of build back up race. Um, I've got a couple other bigger races later in the year, the San Juan Solstice 50 mile then the bear 100 in September. Um, so this definitely wasn't like a primary focus. Um, and I certainly wasn't expecting it to be like, you know, feeling totally 100%. Um, and the way that my training has been structured, it's been a really slow buildup, um, from an injury I had last summer. So it wasn't, it wasn't too surprising really that like, you know, I wasn't, absolutely at my top speed yeah that definitely was kind of to be expected but it's always just like you know a bit of a shocker when you get on the line and take off and like the front (laughs) guys are running like i don't know six minute pace at the beginning of a 32 mile race and i'm like what the hell guys come on that's too fast (laughs) um so but yeah yeah it was certainly intentional that i i went into this one a little bit um not quite firing on all cylinders i also actually yeah pretty ironic right in the middle of my taper uh my achilles 
flared up and got all cranky. So I was actually not even sure if I was going to be able to race for a couple days and then like huh. made the call the day before to give it a shot. Um, so that was kind of on my mind too, which doesn't always help. How did you feel during the race other than, you know, tired, but from an injury point of view, how did you hold up? Pretty good. Um, it was definitely a little bit limiting on the like super gnarly slick rock sections of which there are many in Moab. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a, a super big limiting factor, and it's it's been feeling pretty good after that, taking a couple days to come back. But um, yeah, all things considered, pretty good. Well, hey man, I'm glad to hear that you're kind of back in action and you podiumed, and uh, and that it sounds like it went well. Aside from the you know reminder that running can be hard sometimes. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Next up, let's talk about the Black Canyon Ultras. Yeah. So, um, Black Canyon Ultras went down in Arizona last weekend. Um, and this is a pretty big deal because it's one of the three, the hundred K distance is one of the three golden ticket races for Western States 100s. Um, so the top two finishers, men and women get an automatic entry into Western States. Um, so it always brings a super competitive field, which is always kind of fun to watch, especially, in pandemic times where we haven't had many of those. Um, so on the men's side, Tyler Green took the one win ahead of Eric Sensman. Um, so both of those guys are going into Western States, and that is going to be a sweet men's race. Um, we've got Jared Hazen, who was second last year, coming back, and then I think um, six other guys out of the top ten who are also going to be back from last year. Um plus Tyler and Eric now are in. Um, that's going to be a sweet race to watch. And then Nick Curry was third. He's been crushing this year. Um, on the women's side, Brittany Peterson took the win, and she was actually second at Western States last year, so she already had an entry. Um, and then the second-place finisher, Lisa Roberts, didn't take her golden ticket, so they actually the third- and fourth-place finishers, Sarah Keys and Maria Vargas, took um, the golden tickets on the women's side. Um, and yeah, the women's field at Western States is like freaking awesome. We've got almost the entire top 10 coming back from last year, including Claire Gallagher, who took the win last year, and then Brittany Peterson. Um, and then a whole bunch of other fast women who have gotten in either through other golden ticket races or, uh, various other entries with sponsors and stuff like that. So I'm really excited about Western States this year because I'm a nerd. <laughs> and it's been a while since we had a serious, like, international level 100 mile or distance to, to watch. So I'll be yeah. glued to the old Twitter feeds. Uh, Absolutely. Late June. And I'll, I'll be glued to the Cappuccino Cowboys <laughs> commentary on all this. Uh, Absolutely. If I was Eric, or Jared, I would just, I don't know, I'd find some duct tape in a in a car with a big trunk in an empty parking lot, and I'm not going to name names here, but uh, I would just make sure someone was not near not near a device where things could be posted. I'm just yeah. saying. See if you can yeah. get him added to the, uh, the band list on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> be in good company there. <laughs> yeah. What else? Tell, what else was going on uh, from yes. Black Canyon? So another uh, friend of the podcast, Corey Waltering, yeah. he had the bright idea. So because of COVID, they did the 100K on Saturday and then the 60K on Sunday. 
So Corey, being uh, another clever ultra running type, is like, hey, I could do both of those. So he did the 100K on Saturday, finished sometime after dark, and then got up early on Sunday morning and did the 60K for a 100-mile total distance over the weekend. Um, So, yeah, shout out to Corey. That's awesome and really silly. Um, (laughs) But I don't know. That's like... That's what I love about this sport. It's like they're the people like totally crushing it at the front of these races. They're the people who are just like out there having a good time. And then they're the just like totally masochistic people who are like, I could make this even shittier. And they go yeah. out and do both races. <laughs> it's um, amazing. So, so um, that was I cool mean, to see. Do you have any kind of context for me here? Like how often has something like this happened? I mean, I know certainly there have been a number of people who have been like, I'm going to run a full marathon every day, you know, for X number of days or one a week or that, you know, that kind of thing. But the back-to-back race entry, help me out here. What do you, what do you know? Yeah. So there are a couple races throughout the year. The one that comes to mind immediately is the um, Silverton Alpine 50k and then the Kendall Mountain Run where it's kind of the same setup where they have two different races on two different days and they'll have a separate division that's like the you know double header or whatever um, and people can do both and that's a 50k and then a, I think a 12 mile or the next day so it's not two ultras um, and I think I think there are probably other places where people do do two distances but you know usually in non-covid times everything's happening on the same day so they'd like start the 100k at 6 a.m and then the 60k at 8 a.m so i think i think it's pretty unusual for people to do to do two ultras you know back to back um yeah and man like it's one thing to go and do a hundred miler right and that's impressive (laughs) and crazy um I honestly think it might be even worse though if you did a hundred k, and then you were like done, and uh-huh. got to like sleep for a night, but then you knew you had to get up and run another sixty k the next morning. Like that just sounds brutal. Yeah, yeah. The mental the mental toughness here is just um, yeah. I can't I can't I can barely imagine it. You know, let alone like th- think about like hey have the idea, you know, uh, just, a, just kind of amazing to me. So Corey, you're a crazy person and a badass. I think that's what we've established from this. Yep. Yeah. We can, uh, <laughs> agree on that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Time to transition from races. Let's talk about some shoe stuff. Yes. Where do you want to go? All right, so I think for starters, since we're both here, we should probably talk about the Sockney Switchback 2 because we've both been spending some time in that shoe. Yeah. I think it's fair to say it is a pretty unique shoe. Um, so for those not familiar with it, it is a kind of fairly minimal 4mm drop, super lightweight, flexible trail shoe and it uses a boa dial closure system and it's a really interesting setup instead of kind of the normal uh quote-unquote normal boa dial setup where it's just a dial instead of laces on the top the dial is kind of on the side and it like pulls the entire upper 
tight across the top of your foot. Um, so it's a really interesting design. I've, I've put about 75 miles on the shoe and I must say, like, I'm pretty impressed with how well the whole boa thing works. I'm always a little yeah. bit skeptical with stuff yep. like that. Cause I'm like, guys, there are so many hundreds of shoes with laces. Clearly they work. Yes. Yes. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Right. <laughs> but yep. with that said, um, it's pretty cool. Um, it, it really like, it's very comfortable and it feels pretty secure. I will say like, it doesn't feel as secure to me as a shoe with a super dialed in lacing system. Something like the La Sportiva Bushido 2, for example, where it's just like your foot is not going anywhere. Um, but I was pretty impressed. So I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on the old, uh, BOA system? Yeah. Well, it's funny because we have both been running in this shoe but we have literally not talked about it till right now. (laughs) So uh, that's, that's always kind of fun. Um, I too have been impressed. Um, There's a couple, there's another thing aspect of the shoe I want to ask you about in a moment, but I, I'm actually a little surprised to hear you say that it doesn't feel as kind of locked in as say that Sportiva, because I don't know. I really felt like if I was willing to kind of just keep tightening that dial, I mean, I guess that's the whole, I guess that's kind of the whole point, right? Is like, I could definitely over tighten that shoe, you know, at like just for my personal kind of comfort or whatever. Um, And in fact, one of the things that I'll be curious to hear your thought on this, um, you know, it's ski season for me. I've been skiing a lot. And that means for me, cramming my feet into ski boots that are (laughs) basically two sizes too small for me. And so I always get these like flared up sixth toes during ski season. And um, my first run in the switchback two, I was like, man, that sixth toe is just kind of getting flared up as if I was in a hard shell ski boot, right? Where there is zero give. Yeah. And I, I just dialed back, I just dialed back the boa a little bit and it completely vanished. Huh. And I found like, so now it's like, okay, wait a second. Maybe this is more common than I'm imagining, but it felt like, like I'm, my point is I didn't, I don't want to just talk about how I felt like I could, you know, adjust how tight or loose the upper was. It really kind of felt like, I was adjusting the sort of last of the shoe. And that was something where now I tend to run in wide toe box shoes. So like I'm definitely erring on the side of a, of a kind of wider toe box as opposed to a really tight, snug toe box. But I found myself thinking like, I'm not sure what running shoe I've been in most recently where I felt like I could adjust the the tightness that low on the shoe, if that makes sense, right? Basically right where the upper was meeting the outsole. Yeah. Thoughts. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, I think again, because it's like, it's not actually just tightening, uh, across the top of the shoe. It really like, yeah, it's pulling the entire upper layer of the upper across the top of your foot. And so it does, it does a lot allow for a lot more customization, um, than a standard lacing system. And I'd noticed that as well. I think probably part of the reason I didn't find it quite as secure is because I have super narrow feet. Um, ah. 
and pretty low arches too. And so for me, when I, I really tightened it up, I pretty much maxed out the range on the, the boa dial. So I was like pretty much I see. completely tightened. Yeah. So I think that's where my, my issue with that comes from. So for people with, with higher volume feet or higher arches, I, I would think it would be a super secure fit. Okay. And this is, I mean, to go back to the ski world, this is where, right. If somebody has a really long foot, but a super narrow foot, this is where we might size them down in a ski boot and just punch out the toes, which is not exactly something you can do in a running shoe. So you might just be a trickier fit than I am. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And I run into that problem all the time with shoes. Um, I see. Yeah. Hey, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is what you think of the tread on this shoe. So I will qualify this with saying that um, it's winter and I have mostly been using the switchback on snow. Um, I haven't had a chance to use it on much dirt yet. Um, But with that said, on snow and wet pavement, I think it it's pretty good for how low profile the lugs are. Um, the only thing I've noticed really about the the outsole is that it's a pretty soft rubber compound, which again, is yep. great. It's super grippy. Um, yep. but mine, mine is already wearing down a bit after 75 miles. Um, so I'm not thinking it's going to last super long, but as long as it does last, I've, I've been pretty happy with it and I'm really excited to, to try it out on more like actual technical trail once stuff starts melting out this spring. Yeah, those are kind of my exact thoughts. People, I went and d- did something that I do not like to do at all ever, which is <laughs> run on ice, like on like even remotely s- sloped, you know, this was actually just like basically on pavement and the whole time, I'm just like, I am 100% going to just absolutely wipe out and eat shit. You know, <laughs> like, this is what's going to happen now. Yep. And uh, I have to say, I really was impressed. And again, I was being careful. I was definitely being careful uh, and intentional with each step. But like, the traction on ice, you know, kind of not perfectly clean, smooth ice. Yeah. The traction felt really good to me. But that was my other question. It does feel like a soft rubber. So sounds like our initial thoughts is pretty nice on a traction front. How well is that rubber gonna hand up, you know, hold up if your if your number one priority is just straight durability? And I mean, this is the trade-off, I think, on every shoe, every mountain bike tire is like, what do you want? Traction or durability? Yeah. Um so yeah, absolutely. And there there are some brands like Vibram has their Mega Grip compound, which supposedly, and in my experience, um, kind of combines grippiness and durability to a pretty impressive level. Um, but for the most part, every shoe is going to either be super durable or super grippy and not both. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think for like a lightweight... Um, fairly minimal shoe like the switchback too it makes total sense to err on the side of better grip um just because you know usually you're not gonna get five or six hundred miles out of a pair of more minimal shoes like that anyway Hmm. i think it's an interesting shoe and it's cool to get your you know your own take on this thing uh in real time here i guess if we have a punchline here 
we would both really encourage people to check out this system for that customizable fit. But if you have like really long, really narrow feet, that might not be the best formula, you know, to like really get all the benefits out of that fine tuning you can do with that BOA system. How do you like my summary? I like it. Put a pin. Okay. Put a pin (laughs) in it. Moving on. Before I let you go, let's talk a little bit about carbon plated trail shoes. Yes. So I'm trying to remember if this was last year or the year before, but we were on a podcast with Luke and Maddie and we were talking about all the carbon plated road shoes that were kind of just exploding onto the market at the time. And we were like, huh, I wonder when somebody's going to start doing this with trail shoes. And now we have our answer. Spring 2021. (laughs) So the North Face just released their Flight Vective shoe, um, which their athletes have actually been running in for a while. Um, So Mike Foote, who we had on the podcast recently, he was wearing that shoe for his Rim to Rim to Rim Alt FKT. Um, Random aside. Anyway, um, it is the first carbon-plated trail-specific racing shoe. I'm really curious about it. I'm hoping to get a chance to try it out and see how it how it feels out on the trail i will be really curious to see if the trail running space becomes like the road running world at this point and every brand is like okay we got to get on this here's our carbon plated trail shoe or if it actually doesn't end up uh having as big of a benefit on the trails yeah i think that's a pretty fair question um well there's two questions there one is the question of will there really be a benefit the second question is, regardless of the answer to one, will everybody kind of do it? And what are your thoughts? I mean, I think if there is, <laughs> regardless of whether or not there actually is a benefit, if people think there's a benefit, most brands will probably start doing it. Um, just And that's just based on, you know, looking at the road world. Like when Nike came out with the next percents, everybody wanted them everybody was talking about him and other brands were like, Oh man, we got to get on this. Um, so I think as long as North face is able to kind of create that same, or at least a similar momentum around the flight vective, I think people are going to be really stoked on it. And the demand for that kind of shoe is going to go way up really regardless of whether or not it actually works better. Um, and then as far as whether or not there will be a benefit, I think, it's not quite as clear of a an answer as it would be in the road world. Um, just because like road running is a lot more formulaic, right? It can be like, okay, here's this runner. They're landing on this even pavement with this much force. If we put this carbon plate in here, it's going to rebound and give them more energy. Um, but if you take that onto a trail and you're like, okay, here's this runner. And, you know, they're death marching up a hill at mile 90 and they just stepped on a rock and like their other foot's in ankle deep mud or whatever. Like there are just so many other factors um, on the trail, even in shorter, faster settings where it's like uneven terrain, soft substrates, all kinds of stuff. I don't know. I think it'll be uh, a bit more of a toss up, but as I said, I'm curious to try it out and see. Yeah. By the way, I feel like maybe you gave me a total politician answer (laughs) <laughs> on the question of will it will it become a broader thing and more companies will be doing it. So in the effort to try to pin you down, 
if you had to wager a thousand dollars on whether, let's say, two seasons from now, we're seeing a lot more companies offering a carbon plated trail shoe, you putting a thousand dollars on, yes, we'll see a lot more, or no, this will be much more of an isolated thing. And a thousand bucks is a lot for a grass. I know. Shoe. Don't I don't, get it, don't get don't it. Don't get it wrong. wrong. Um, I think I would put my money on seeing a lot more of this. Just, you know, like one, I think there probably will be a benefit, at least in some settings and people, especially ultra runners are super into like, Oh, here's this fancy thing that will make me 0.001% faster. Um, so I think that aspect of it will be appealing to a lot of trail runners. And then also I think, Anything that is new and novel and different from what we're used to will always get a lot more attention and demand, especially at the beginning. So whether or not it's a long-term trend, I don't know. But I do think in the next two years or so, there will be a lot more brands with carbon-plated trail shoes. And we might need to get Mike Foote back on the podcast to ask how they hold up during you know river crossings yeah i want to know how they are for swimming i bet that car right. plate helps a lot for that yeah <laughs> i can't remember if he had shoes on while crossing or if he if he and rob were full buck naked i think I, they were maybe full buck naked that's what i was gonna say too but i don't know Man, we'll have to ask I, them Again, I've been real clear in my stance on that's just something I will never, ever do unless I'm being chased by a large grizzly bear. But I think I'd prefer <laughs> to cross the river with my shoes on. No? Oh, I mean, man, I don't if, know. It's a tough choice because if you wear your shoes, then you get to the other side and your shoes are all wet. And then yeah. your feet are sad and soggy for the next, like, <laughs> however many hours. And that's that's a bummer, too. So. I think you just go for it. Put your shoes in the dry bag. Go big or go home. Go big or go home. All these scenarios sound terrible, which is why I am not Mike Foote. That's Uh, right. Yeah. So uh, not that anyone has ever been confused about that point. But anyway, (laughs) man. (laughs) Yeah, just to clarify. Hey, I appreciate the kind of recap. I'm happy to... uh, get your real-time impressions on the uh, switchback too. I think this is good. I think you and I should, you know, be doing this more often, getting the same shoe, and then we just hop on a podcast and we figure out if we agree or not. Yeah, that's a fun way to, to talk about gear. Yeah, exactly. I like it. Um, hey, man, I appreciate it. Uh, congrats again on uh, on Red Hot, one on the podium, but but frankly in a lot of ways, just that you're back and running and racing and seem to get through this thing, uh, without, f- you know, re-aggravating injuries. I know, I know that, uh, I know this has been tough for you kind of being sidelined for this long. So, um, I'm, I'm personally really happy to have you kind of have you back and, and I guess feeling all right. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. That was definitely the big win for me. It was like finally getting back on a start line, getting through the race and, yeah, it's just, it's awesome to be able to do that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Thanks. Yeah, man. Hey, I'll let you go. Thanks. And uh, talk to you real soon. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks, Jonathan. Well, that's it for this edition of Off the Couch. I want to say thanks to Gordon for the conversation. 
thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And from all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please be safe. Please take good care of yourself and everybody else. Please keep moving forward, and we will talk to you again next week.